Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to Anime Ichiban Goomba Stomp's number one anime podcast. The only anime podcast on Goomba Stomp, in fact. So you're not wrong. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. Yes, I am never wrong. I'm the host of a podcast. How could I ever be wrong, you two? These two joining me today, speaking of, are Kyle Rigashon yes. and Perry Morris. I am your moderator and host, Matthew Pontier. How are you doing, you two? You got any plans for Christmas? You getting the jolly vibes? Or are you just feeling the burn from work like I am right now and just ready for it to end? Both. I'm all Hello. good. I, I, I'm just having a family Christmas, a standard, uh, fairly grey family Christmas in England. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, though. I fucking love Christmas. It's awesome. So I'm just kind of gradually hobbling along towards that, um, <laughs> getting through this kind of final... I guess it's sort of pre-Christmas slump in a sense because it's like the final part of work for everyone. Yeah. Meanwhile, so, all the Christmas lights are hung up all over the cities. It's just like, ah. It's, it's weird. So it's far like, away it's, still. It's great that it's close to Christmas and it's great that build-up, but at the same time, because of how much work there is for everyone, it's sort of like a double-edged sword. So Exactly, yeah. Which brings, yeah, we're in a jolly mood. Just tell me, what what is one Christmas memory that sticks out in your guys' minds? Fondly or not fondly? Um, I don't know. Just I've I've never gone out for Christmas. I've always been in with a family, mm-hmm. and I really really like that. I really like that we've. It's always just been a super low key kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, and it's going to be the same this year. So I guess just the kind of family vibe of Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, good the Christmas Carol. One memory that I have is like it's sort of bittersweet in a way. I, it was when I was younger, I think I was in middle school, and as a middle schooler, you're always very excited for Christmas, and so I didn't sleep much the night before, and then I woke up, and I was like very, very, very sick. I had some sort of stomach flu or something, and so I was just bedridden the whole Christmas, and so fortunately, uh, we were hosting Christmas at our house that year, and so all my relatives were there. But I was just kind of like quarantined off my room in the back with the door closed while I could hear like all the cheerful noises going on outside. But they always made a point to come in and visit me and check up on me and kept their distance at the same time. But they they, they did their best effort to include me in the festivities, even though like I was absolutely dying and miserable. But it, it turned out to be a fond memory in the end. It just showed like. It was it was very warm and cozy setting, despite despite the fact. What about you, Kyle? Despite the fact that you were super poorly. Uh, well, <laughs> I don't have I, I don't have like one specific memory really, but <laughs> at least for me, when I was younger, uh, like middle school, same kind of years, um, I do remember that I I was the kind of kid who was very uh, gung ho about uh, knowing what the hell Santa was bringing me, that little fat <laughs> bastard. So. Uh, my parents would try and fail to hide presents every year. And I think the, the proudest I was when I found it was when they hid it in like the attic. So, and I assume there's a lot of stuff in the attic. That you yeah, 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 yeah. So I, well, I think our old house was like, it was, it was one of those attics where you actually had to like take a ladder to like go up and then remove like a panel in the ceiling to actually get up there. Yeah, one year it was in my mom's car. Another one it was like in the shed in the backyard. So it was, so it was just a it was challenge just a for you every yeah, time. Yeah, it was like a little scavenger hunt. Even though you know, I'm it sure really your wasn't. parents loved you for that. Oh yeah. no, no, they didn't. They hated it. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was great. It was fun. Yeah, awesome. Well, what did you get for Christmas? What did you actually find in the attic? 
Um, nothing. It was a big box of just no. no. Um, <laughs> a decoy and some cocaine. Yeah, all of that just Christmas. in like one giant box. They didn't even wrap it. They just said, "Hey, Kyle, here's your present." And it was literally written on the box. no. Um, I probably well, well, the one that I always remember is when like the GameCube first came out, mm, and yeah. uh, my mom had like teased me about it and said oh we we can get you a gamecube game so i had like for two <laughs> weeks just this copy of luigi's mansion and nothing to play it with because my mother's sadistic uh, but yeah i just remember finding a gamecube in the back of her car and freaking out and you know, i couldn't play it because it was just there but you know just the knowledge that it would soon be mine was enough that's really cute I always had a GameCube over a PS2. I think I got a PS2 eventually, mm. like quite late into the life cycle mm-hmm, of it, mm-hmm. to play Mortal Kombat Armageddon. Um, <laughs> but like for years prior to that, I was just purely on GameCube. Yeah, yeah same. I, like I was. Goes. Yeah, I was on GameCube for the most majority of it, and then I got my PS2 as a Christmas present, and that was a complete surprise for me because I had made zero indication of wanting a PS2. All that I did was like I was visiting my grandma one year and. I don't know, there was like a mall pop-up or something and they had PlayStation 2 set up. And so I played it and I had a good time. But I wasn't like bouncing off the ground. I was like, oh my God, I want what I want, what I want. I'm like, okay, Jack and Dexter is a cool game. It's like Mario, but not. <laughs> um, and then that year I opened up and there's this bright yellow PS2 in there. I'm like, what the heck? Oh yeah, the box I, used I, to be like weirdly yellow, wasn't it? Or it didn't used to be. It was just a special color. Like I was, was the, that was the oh, only no. yellow PS2 I ever saw in my life, and I owned it. So oh, oh, the yeah. actual PS2 oh. itself was yellow. Oh, yeah, the, the the console itself was a bright yellow. Oh, yeah, it wasn't gold. It was just like yellow. Huh. Uh, I took <clears> pride <throat> in having the only yellow, yellow PS2 ever. So yeah, that it's, was a nice surprise. It's always weird how when I like think back to because like as a kid, you, know, you you don't have money, so you can't really like say what you want. Or uh, mm-hmm. you, you don't really have a say in like what you get. You can tell your parents, hey, I really like this. But at the end of the day, it's up to them. So I think it's incredible that my parents managed to get me a bunch of weeb games. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I, like, I grew up playing like games like Final Fantasy, Fire Emblem and Tales games. So it's like, oh, thanks, parents. Thanks. That is that's what instilled your love in that kind of genre. Honestly, yeah, that's a large part of it because I grew up. Yeah, with that's awesome. really cool. Yeah. Well, that's it what was, you, oh, sorry. I was, I was like, no, I was gonna say it was weird for me because I never really liked JRPGs until I was fourteen and I played Blue Dragon on the Xbox 360. Oh, oh I had that Blue game. Dragon. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm not gonna say it's like the pinnacle of JRPGs, but before that, I tried to play Final Fantasy VII when I was about six or seven years old, mm-hmm. and I just couldn't understand it. I was just a fucking idiot, and I couldn't understand it because I'd never played a game like that before. And then moving forward, I played. I know it's not a JRPG, but it's turn-based combat. I played Lord of the Rings: The Third Age on GameCube, and I got stuck on it, and I wasn't that good at it. And I kind of thought, right, I don't really like this kind of combat system. It doesn't work for me. And then Blue Dragon was a game that I played where I thought, fucking hell, this is so much fun. And I got really into it. And that's when I realized I really like that kind of concept. Yeah, it's kind of funny how there are a lot of, of things. It's kind of funny how there are a lot of games like that where it's like, as a kid, you're just like, well, I, I can't play this. It, mm-hmm. It's so hard. I think that was mm-hmm. Super Metroid for me. <laughs> where it's like, how, yeah. how the how the 
fuck am I supposed to play this game? But, you know, I was like an eight-year-old, so of course I'm going to be terrible with like mo- fine motor control. So. Yeah, exactly. I, I specifically remember Star Fox Adventures. There's a part where oh you're my God. Like in an underground mine and you're going up this spiral, not, not a spiral staircase, but like a spiral like slope. And there are a bunch of barrels coming down that slope as you're going up. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, for the life of me, I could not dodge <laughs> the barrels for crap. Like I could not react to them at all. You know what I ended up doing is because I noticed the barrels had the same pattern every mm-hmm. time you went up. So I just memorized the pattern of where the barrels were and just like kept adding that onto my memory as I went up. And I finally got past it just by knowing exactly when to move. And then like years later, I went and did that segment no problem because like I can react to things now. <laughs> <laughs> I think actually Star Fox Adventures had this weird segment too where I kind of just gave up on it where it's like, you s- so from what I remember, Fox has this like staff and he's like trying to turn something around, but in order to do that, you have to like button mash A. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and yeah. it's like ri- ridiculously like strict about how I, quick you need to be. I had my friend do that for me. I couldn't do it myself either. I remember like that That was also when like we, I was first getting onto the internet. And I think the solution that I found out was somebody said like there's a spoon trick where you can like uh-huh. take a spoon and like, okay, so you, t- you, <laughs> you take a GameCube controller Take a spoon in your right hand, put it over the A Your right hand, not you your left l- hand. Yes. <laughs> well, whatever. Whatever combination of hands you want to use here. You put you take a spoon and you move it like back and forth rapidly, and it like will go across the surface of the controller and press the A button down. But because you're not like going straight down, it's easier on your hand. Um, yeah, it was just a weird weird life hack to get past that but yeah fuck star fox adventures <laughs> i think is the point of that rant <laughs> well those are the games of yesteryear what about the games that you're playing in this year what have you guys been up to recently i'm currently doing my third playthrough this year of dragon quest 11 oh my god Harry. because so i did a 100 hour playthrough in february and uh I'm really picky about 100%ing stuff. And there's a moment in the game where I, I don't think it's much of a spoiler. I won't say much, but you go back in time and it duplicates a lot of your items. Oh, yeah. You were telling it, us about this. Yeah. 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 So yeah. it duplicates a bunch of stuff I didn't want duplicated mm-hmm. and I couldn't sell it because it was like unique items. And I thought, this is fucked up my inventory. It's such a mess. I don't like it. Um, so I kind of left it at 100 hours. So I did the whole game, but I didn't do the post game. Um, and then I replayed it in July. And I did like 100% playthrough on my PS4 and that was like 140 hours. And now I've got it for Switch and I'm playing it again for Switch and I'm about 50 hours in. I'm on like the second part of the game where uh, I won't say anything. Yeah, I'm gonna I know what you mean. People who haven't. Yeah, yeah, but, but yeah, the second act. And yeah, it's just, I've not been this obsessed with a game for like quite a long time. I fucking love it so much. And I've, I've put so much time into it this year alone. It's so, so awesome when you f- can finally find one of those games that it's just like you, you don't feel the time going by at all. It's just like every moment you're playing oh, it is just the like time sheer flying, unadulterated. The time flies place, by yeah. when I play it. I'll, I'll, I'll do like one thing in the game and I'll be like, okay, yeah, that took me like 10 minutes. And I'll look, it's like, oh, that was an hour. Yeah. It's that kind of thing. Yeah. Nice. I, I hate it because I similarly with like another jrpg that i just want to go back into is persona 5 but oh, yeah. royals coming out in like three months so i'm like i can't yeah. die i can i, I can't, cannot I, can't. I cannot justify getting royal it's not too 
too similar I for me. It's like 90% the same game. Um, yeah. But it's like, if I were going to go back and replay anyways, I might as yeah. well get the one with added content. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, for yeah, me. I, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for me, I'm less excited for Royal and more excited for Persona 5 Scramble at this point because that that actually looks like yeah. a sequel. Yes, it's a different gameplay style and it's a Muso, which I'm not normally into, but the way they're incorporating Persona mechanics into the Muso style seems really interesting, especially since they're putting anything verticality. To be fair, I obviously love Persona 5 and I am excited for the Royal, but I am more excited for Scramble because like from what I see about them, I'm just thinking, this looks so fun. Yeah. And it, it like... I'm glad that they're not just kind of phoning in this lazy effort to just like, oh, we're just kind of assembling Persona characters and just doing like a Muso game. It's like you're saying, it seems like a sequel. Is it exactly. actually? I haven't looked in anything. It actually it. is a sequel, yes. Or as in like, it takes place directly after Persona 5 ends. Oh, yeah. all right. Okay. But new, you got new locations to explore, new sh- social links and all that. So, Oh my God. Yeah, it's, mm. it's, it's, it's a sequel of different gameplay. <laughs> the only thing I hope, I hope that the environments aren't too repetitive. I know it's a random point to make, but I hope oh, that's they're a fair not all point, kind yeah. of like dark, gloomy, mementos kind of environments. I hope you get a good mix of stuff. Wait, wait, wait. Is, is, is Koei Tecmo on it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm. So, it, so it is a proper Musa game. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. a mega force. And, oh. and to be fair, I think like Hyrule Warriors is so fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same goes for Fire Emblem Warriors. Like, they're just such fun games. Yeah, so I'm really excited for this. I think their spin-offs of the Dynasty Warriors stuff have been really good so far, so... I've got high expectations. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think much of it when it was announced, but I'm very much in- interested in it now. As for myself, I finished Death Stranding. Oh, nice. Ooh, that was folks. a game. I'm not going to... Well, the less I say about Death Stranding, the better. I, <laughs> yeah, I've I, heard people yeah. recommend it, and I think that's all I need to know I, about Well, the game. for me, I... I am glad I played it. It took me about 44 hours to complete. Oh my god. I had a good time with it. But I would but I would not recommend it to people. Really? Um, that that is my conclusion on it. Mm. At least I, I would not be able to recommend it without like massive caveats. Uh but I am I've, glad I've I played not it. I'm glad it to be this divisive in years. For mm-hmm. something to be this like because some people absolutely adore it mm-hmm. and think it's like so groundbreaking, and some people just don't really like it at all. Or they, or they just, you know, like, you, uh, like you're saying, yeah. you valued it, but you didn't really enjoy it, per se. I, I, I enjoyed it. What I what I said in the last episode I described is, is, it's a very good game. It's not a fun game, but you can still yeah. enjoy a game that's not fun. I know there's all sort of oxymorons in there, but yeah. that is Death Stranding. And I was also very impressed with the story by the end. I think that's what really left me with a positive impression by the end was the story. But mm. it's it's hard to look past the gameplay for sure. Yeah, that's that's what I've heard is that like it offers a unique experience, which mm-hmm. if you appreciate video games as a medium, I think Death Stranding is probably worth it. Um, so if you want to see like what how, like how people are like looking at mechanics in a very atypical way, is is based off of like all of the under all, all of the comments and like things that I've read right. about people playing the game. So yeah. at some point, I'll probably pick it up just because. It, I I like There's experimentation. Like yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because like, for me personally, I would personally rather play a game that's really kind of mindless and simple, but just completely fun. Like I mentioned it before, Hyrule Warriors, mm-hmm. or, or even just like fucking Mario Kart. You could argue that Mario Kart is a very simple thing in terms of its formula, but it is so fun. 
and it you know it, it doesn't push boundaries in its genre but it is just so fucking good at doing what it does whereas death stranding is pushing all these boundaries but ultimately is it entertaining and is it fun but it, it's very much what you're getting in there for like i go into games purely just to have fun mm-hmm. so it probably wouldn't be my cup of tea yeah but if like you're saying if you're somebody who's going into their like with more of a kind of mechanical mind like looking into the kind of the mechanics and the innovation in the genre then obviously you'll probably have a really good time exactly which is why like i can't give a blanket recommendation for the game uh it, mm. it really is a person by persis but, but I'm assuming this is why you really, really like games like Sekiro, because they get the best of both worlds. Right, yeah, exactly. Sekiro is my number two game of the year. My number one game of the year is Trails of Cold Steel 3, which I also finished. Uh-huh. And I'm not going to talk about much, that much because I go on for ages. <laughs> um, but the ending... Oh, you did end up finishing absol- it. Oh, yeah, I did finish it. The ending absolutely blew me away. Completely and utterly. I have not been this shook buy a video game in my oh my life and that is all i will say about that so you quite liked it it yes. was all right <laughs> yeah it was pretty okay all right on that note you guys ready to get into some news yeah yeah That's all right. right we have an update now uh, many many moons ago we talked about the tokyo 2020 olympic games opening ceremony where we talked about launching gundam models in space you guys remember that yeah mm. Yeah, so for the listeners who maybe weren't around for that episode, just to summarize really quickly, Japan is planning all of these unique events uh, that is distinctly Japanese for their opening ceremony at the Olympics next year. And one of the things that they're doing is that the Japanese aerospace agency, JAXA, is going to be launching Gundam models into space. (laughs) These are specially made Gundam models with special paint and special alloys that will withstand the uh, extreme conditions of space. And so we have a little bit of update on that. And that the uh, original creator of Gundam, so Yoshiyuki Tomimo, will be basically the one writing the message that will be recorded on the Gundams that will be played while they're in space. And that message will be recorded by the voice actors for Amuro and Char from the series. So Toru Furuya and Shuichi Ikeda. And he comments how this exchange is something you would never hear them like the kind of exchange you would never <laughs> hear them make in the actual series itself so he hopes that you'll get a laugh out of it hmm. yeah this is this is exactly what i want from the olympic opening ceremony because <laughs> even though i don't know anything about gundam i would be so disappointed if it was just fucking like this is our tradition fucking drumming which is what so many countries do because so many countries have fuck all entertainment and it's just like this is our culture, just fucking drumming. And it's just like drumming in a big line and everyone's going to drum together. It's like, that's not fucking tradition. That's just boring. Everyone does that. And I, I think Japan's got such amazing modern entertainment and such incredible like like video games, anime, manga, and just incredible entertainment across the board and awesome technology. And I really, really want that to be celebrated because that is so much more fascinating than like quite... Uh, stereotypical kind of like asian roots that i feel are quite predictable if that makes sense Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. i want it to be an opening ceremony that's going to baffle people who don't know about japan in a good way (laughs) like because that will leave an impression instead Mm -hmm. of just like being another fucking country that just plays drums in the opening ceremony and just talks about culture from fucking hundreds of years ago that said i I would totally be down for a taiko performance because taiko is badass 
But yeah, I, mean, I, I understand <laughs> the kind of drum you're thinking of, like marching band drumming and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, also, I, I probably sounded very disrespectful to a lot of countries, but and I want to say, like, obviously, I'm sorry if I came across like that. But I just think when you are a country of such incredible entertainment like that and such an incredible modern industry of entertainment, I think that should be celebrated. And for what it's worth, if I sounded like I was being disrespectful to countries, I want to just point out that the fucking the UK opening ceremony was terrible. Wait, what was and, it? I haven't watched the Olympics in like years. <laughs> uh, yeah, like so the the London twenty twelve one was just like it's just very much a realization that we don't have much good shit over here. We've got like a few franchises or a few entertainers that are valued, but it's pretty fucking boring. Whereas Japan has so much. So like I just I don't know. Should I'm have had like up, just... a jousting tournament or something like that. Like people in full fucking plates of armor just having at it in front that of people. Cool that would of be cool to people. be fair. That would be cool to be fair. But instead it was just like James Bond and the Queen. Oh. Which is just like, okay, so we've got inferior mission impossible and we've got a fucking royal family. Anyways, I mean I'm in a negative mood today. <laughs> we all get in that that kind of funk sometimes. Yeah. What do you think about these Gundam space models, Kyle? Uh, I mean, like Harry said, like it's it'll be interesting to see just because like it's it's still it's something that's both indicative of Japan as a culture, but also very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not like the very stereotypical image that you might like think up of that country. Um, so yeah, I, I I do like the idea of just baffling people that mm-hmm. don't have any idea what's going on. But right, and this is the yeah. kind of thing is, even if you don't know what's going on, it's just such a spectacle. It's mm-hmm. Exactly, it's still so visually entertaining, but yeah. I feel like everyone could get something out of it, even if you've never, ever heard of Dragon Ball. Do you know what I mean? Like, like you've never heard of anything from Japan. Yeah, like, it, it's still a celebration you of can, their culture, but it, it's yeah. obviously, like, very important for them. Right. Yeah, totally. And I want them to do it for themselves, first and foremost, not for people who've never heard of anything from Japan. Because it's like, then you'd be pandering to people who know fuck all. And mm-hmm. I've, I've, I don't know, like, Japan, put Japan first and, and fucking you do you and enjoy your interests because it's awesome. Yeah, I mean, this will be the first opening ceremony I watched since I think the London 2012 ones. So <laughs> really looking yeah. forward to that. Yeah, so. Cool. In relation to uh, the Gundam creator, so he's also uh, being awarded the Government Cultural Honor in Japan, which is a distinguished award that goes to people who have made accomplishments in artistic and cultural activities. Uh, Manga author Rumiko Takahashi is also being awarded this. Oh, nice. Yes. And so the special thing about this is that for this year, the first year of the Reiwa era, a total of 74 people are receiving this award, and these two are the only ones that are receiving it from that are in the anime and manga industry. It is it, it is exceptionally rare for someone in the anime and manga industry to receive this award? And so it just shows how much Japan as a nation values these individuals that created these. Mm-hmm. Well, in one case, like the iconic mecha series, and then the other case, just all these other beloved manga series that have gone down in it's history. interesting that they're giving it to that well i guess it would make sense that they'd want to give it to people that are al- alive i guess but I, mm-hmm. I honestly feel like that there should be other like i i'm surprised that tezuka hasn't won that award well it's possible he did it's just maybe maybe in the past i haven't looked uh, into yeah, that yeah yeah 
but I mean, th- those are both good choices. They are like both Gundam and Takahashi's series have been very much important landmarks for the industry as a whole. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. The The official press release was that Tomimo, the creator of Gundam, has endeavored for the growth of the next generation and made a great contribution to the promotion of Japan's arts and culture. Meanwhile, in Takahashi's case, as she released a multitude of great works as a manga creator over many years, she mm-hmm. has been endowed with rem- remarkable achievements inside and outside Japan, and she has made a great contribution to the promotion of Jam- Japan's arts and culture. That's awesome. Yeah. I think, yeah, it, it it's showing how these individuals had an impact on people outside of Japan, even. Mm. Yeah, 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 that's very, like that's very true. Yeah, that's very true. They've boosted Japan's popularity, like, globally. Exactly. It's it's nice to see recognition for those very esteemed individuals, especially for a woman in the anime manga industry, because Japan as a whole, uh, gender equality is still lagging behind, and it's... Pretty they're especially still, bad. They're still in, just very conservative overall, I think. Yeah. In so, in so many areas. Like they're not particularly up to date with LGBTQ plus issues, um, gender equality, like you're saying, and just mm-hmm. so many things. Mm-hmm. Um and it's, really it's getting there. Get it's it's getting there. Is 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 just yeah, I, I guess I think there's a lot of elderly people in Japan who are still probably like nailing them down into that kind of conservative mindset. And hopefully as that generation starts to die off, you'll get more liberal minded people coming up and, and people of our generation who are a bit more open-minded and accepting of different people fingers crossed right exactly yeah they're 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 making progress but they definitely still have a long way to go but having rubiko takahashi recognize this is definitely Mm -hmm. showing that they are making progress especially Mm -hmm. in the government space as well yeah all right moving right along we have japan's anime market uh so Basically, there is the Association of Japanese Animations, and they published the Anime Industry Report of 2019. Here's the weird part, though. It's called the Anime Industry Report of 2019, yet it only details statistics from 2018, which I'm confused about. Yeah, but like taxes, I I guess. But (laughs) these these are still very interesting statistics. So. The anime mm-hmm. industry in Japan has been on a rise for the past nine years. It's now reached a record high for the sixth consecutive year where it saw only a 0.9 increase from 2017, but it has reached a 100 million yen uh, profit. And this <clears throat> also includes both the Japanese domestic and overseas markets. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing here is that in the overseas market, it has now surpassed 1 trillion yen, which is approximate to $9.14 billion. Oh, wow. That is unsurprising. Yeah. (laughs) Some more interesting statistics is that, uh, breaking down those numbers a little bit more. So of 2018, a lot of that 20, a lot of that rise was done due to live events. So 23 live events saw a 23.1% growth in revenue. Meanwhile, streaming saw a 10.2% growth. Conversely, Home video and purchasing saw a 25% decrease. Mm-hmm. So that just really il- illustrates again how we are moving away from physical media that you can hold in your hands to just like at your fingertips clicking streaming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't I don't I don't buy Blu-rays. <laughs> I yeah. I do try to buy Blu-rays of like stuff I really enjoy. Well, again, like if, there's, case, if there's a film that yeah, comes out like, that I fucking love or like a, a series that I love, I will try and get it on Blu-ray. Like we talked about this in your case before, but it is like 
significantly harder for you in the UK to come across media versus us in the US oh, here, where it's like, yeah. if we want it, chances are we can find it streaming somewhere. It's kind of like, I think they recently released all of Dragon Ball Z on Blu-ray or something, like a box set of it. Um, and I've still not seen all of Dragon Ball Z. I've only seen bits and bobs and I'd love to buy it. I'd love to get the whole box set and watch for it, but it's just like, it's not available in the UK. So there's nothing I can do really. And that's what's frustrating sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel like, not to say it's not important, but I feel like, uh, probably because it is important actually, we bring this up every episode. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Where the UK gets screwed. A lot of the, uh, (laughs) a lot of the uh, areas get screwed. What I did find out recently, though, which was interesting when I was doing some research for our later topic, is that so obviously Japan, if you were to rank the number of Google searches, the number of anime, the word anime Google searches, of course, Japan would be number one uh, in terms of that. But yeah, who do you think is number two in that? Uh, is it like a really random part of America Somewhere or is it in South America? Um, is it South America? Is I it actually don't know where America? this. No, is it's this... not. It's not in America. No, it, it is a country. Uh, where I is it? Know. The Philippines. Oh yeah, the Philippines right. are actually ranked sense. number two. Yeah, yeah. In terms of the most Google searches for the word anime, and the other interesting thing for this is that the U.S. isn't on the top five list for this at all. It's a bunch of I I lost the article already, so I don't know what three, four, and five were. But the U.S. did not rank in the top five for Google searches in that regard, which is very surprising. But it, yeah. it really goes to show that yes, anime is popular outside of just Japan and the U.S. Typically, when you think overseas, a lot of people associate that with the U.S. But there's more to it than just that. Would you say that like being in the U.S. is sometimes like being in a sort of echo chamber? where you forget that there's a world outside of the U.S.? Um, well, yeah, I, I, it's a little cases, bit, yeah. but I mean, it like naturally you're going to be... Well, it doesn't help, at least in this case, the fact that the U.S. is very isolated. Like, we've got oceans on both sides, and we have two countries that border us. So we're yeah. not exactly, like, really in touch with a more global... Uh, like day-to-day events just because it doesn't it's not really relevant to us versus you in the UK you're like right there smack dab in Europe you're like yeah you have the English channel separating you but that's like not an ocean so you do have like more of a like regular you have more regular contact with other countries um, yeah so yeah in it, the US is also fucking massive so mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit of a bubble sometimes. Like, I do have to remember, oh, my God, there's, like, a whole other world out there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I, I found the other it, countries, by the way. So, number three was Saudi Arabia, four was El Salvador, number three was Saudi and five Arabia. was Saudi, Saudi, Saudi Arabia. Arabia. Yep. Well, wow. That's crazy. So, so like, uh, yeah, uh, it's a bit of a... It was a pretty random country to be really into anime. Although maybe, yeah. it's, the, maybe it's the escapism of living in a fundamentalist society. I think any religious fundamentalist society would completely be completely miserable to live in. So you escape with Dragon Ball at the end. You you go and pop on Crunchyroll and watch some anime. What other statistics does the list have? <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's about all I have for that story. But yeah, it's just 
again, we already knew this, but anime is getting bigger and bigger. That ain't stopping. Uh, granted, like this was the smallest increase in a few years by only 0.9%, where it had been increasing by like five or six the previous years before this. So it, it looks like it might plateau here. We'll see. But either way, like anime ain't going anywhere. <laughs> we already knew Yay. that, though. All right. Moving right along, we love our streaming services. By that, I mean, I hate how there are so many streaming services out there. I'm sure you two can attest to that. We, yeah, whenever, whenever we see a new streaming service pop up, we just kind of roll our eyes, just like, not another one. I already have a Crunchyroll subscription, a Funimation subscription, an Amazon subscription, and so on and so forth. I don't need another streaming service. Here's one, though, that might have a little something going for it, though. It might have might be onto something here. So a new streaming service called Retro Crush has been announced. And as the name might imply, this is a streaming service that will exclusively deal with old retro anime from like the 90s and 80s and onwards and maybe early 2000s. And so some of the examples that they include are Fist of the North Star, uh, Urusai Yatsuro, Cardcaptor Sakura, the original Street Fighter 2 anime, and things like that. Okay, and that's quite so, cool. Yeah, and so this actually is pretty neat, considering retro anime in particular, like anime is already very scattered across many different streaming services, but retro anime in particular are extremely scattered. I tried to do a little searching for where I could find something. So Urusai Yatsuru and Rama One Half on Hulu. Meanwhile, Inuyasha is on Netflix. Meanwhile, Fist of the North Star is on Amazon. So if you want to watch yeah. a retro anime, there's no like real singular one-stop shop for it. And so this is absolutely an untapped market, especially with... Well, especially if that's your favorite stuff to watch, if you like yeah. a specific... Because I think there's a lot of people who do favor the kind of 90s animation style. And like, if that's what you're into and that's what you prefer generally... And the modern stuff doesn't really do it for you, then yeah, just go for that streaming site. Well, I think yeah, what, would be nice, what would be nice for that too is with a lot of older series that might not even be available on modern streaming services is that even if you did say like pick up an old copy of like Outlaw Star or something like that, chances are you're going to be running on subs that are like 25 plus years old. And anime subs... Back in the 90s were not that great. <laughs> Keikaku means plan. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, that was more of a mid 2000s. That was, that was the Death Note subbing, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So point being, like, you, you probably have, like, much better resources to localize the translations now. So it'll probably read a lot more smoothly. So it's that's good. That's a good thing. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm... Because my, in terms of my 90s and especially 80s anime knowledge, I am extraordinarily limited. I know Gundam, I know Rumiko Takahashi stuff, I know Fist of the North Star, and that's about, and I guess Sailor Moon, and that's about it. And whenever I meet some of these older anime fans, they talk about some of their favorite shows in the 90s. I, it's like a completely different world to me because I, I take pride in knowing pretty much, at least having heard of, nearly every single modern anime there is out there. It's very exceptionally rare that someone mentions an anime show from 2000 onwards. I'm like, I haven't even heard of that. Uh, meanwhile, anything before the 2000s, that's basically like everything. There are so many shows I haven't even mm -hmm. heard of, I'm sure mm -hmm. of. And that, yeah. that is a shame because there are... Uh, the 90s style animation has a lot going for it that is lost in today's animation. And it's this is as good an excuse as any for me to dive into that treasure trove, I think. 
I was yeah. thinking about that That'd as we cool. were making like the top 100 list for the website. Just like mm-hmm. there's so many shows that have been released in the past decade. And it's like, how am I going to like watch all of this <laughs> along with like other shows outside of the past decade that are exactly. also good? I guess on yep. that note, have we announced we're doing a top 100 list for the website? We, well, I was going to eventually, <laughs> but now we have. Yes. Well, there you go. It's not out, 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 out of yeah, the bag. It's not a top 100. It is the top 50. Top but, 50. But uh, do you guys have anything else to say about this? Because that is a nice segue to our main topic, if so. No, that's good. Uh, no, I'm, I'm cool like jumping in. All right. Yeah. So we're cutting the news a little short this episode because we got a nice, thick, meaty, juicy main topic Dick. for the you episode. You want to put more adjectives main topic. on there? <laughs> I, think, I think I had enough. I had a lot of Japanese barbecue last night, so I got <laughs> oh, the meat nice. online. It very good. Say, say that it, again. I, I hate that noise. Anyone who makes that noise to describe, like, enjoying food is the worst person. <laughs> I well, just then, looked I guess at you're my, fired from the site uh, then, Harry. I just looked at the sound waves that I made with that disgusting noise, and it looks like a fish skeleton. Nice. Anyways, go that, on. That'd be an interesting art form. Yes, anyways. So, uh, we, we at Goomba Stomp are compiling a top 50 anime of the decade list. Or yeah, let's rewind. It is the end of the year, but more than that, it's the end of the decade. So we want to do something special. So we are putting together a top 50 anime of the decade list. So we're not, we don't want to just talk about what our favorite shows of the decade were here uh, because we're going to be doing that in the list on Goomba Stomp. Check out our website. That's a nice plug right there. So instead, we are going to take a look throughout the years and identify what were the most influential shows of the decade. This doesn't necessarily mean they were good shows, as you will very quickly see, but shows that had an impact on the industry in some shape or form at large. They made waves. They made more than just tiny little ripples on the surface. And we can still steal, still feel their presence today. And so just to start off with, we have the elephant in the room, which would be Poco no Pico. No, <laughs> it would be... Sword Art Online is yeah. the one that I think if you ask someone what is the most influential show of the decade, not the best, but the most influential, it would be Sword Art Online. Would you two agree with that first to start off with? Unfortunately, I don't, I wouldn't say it's I, the I most don't know if it is the most, I mean, I feel like it's others like Attack on Titan, but uh, kind it, it's of It's definitely a very and, influential show, for yeah, better or for yeah. worse. Yes, because... Basically, what Sword Art Online did is that it single-handedly kicked off the isekai trend, not just in the anime industry, but the manga, light novel, and anime industry. It was after Sword Art Online hit it big in the anime format that we started sealing, sealing, seeing all of the, I was reincarnated in another world as a vending machine. I was reincarnated in another yeah. world as a hot tub. I was reincarnated in another world as a condom. <laughs> Things like that. Any... You, I was reincarnated in another world as X. That last one sounds like a good series. I'll, I'll, I'll send you a link for that one. Wait, is that yeah, an actual? I thought you were just pulling that out no, your ass. No, no, I'm, oh I'm joking. But I also would oh. not be surprised if it's fucking <laughs> real. God. Because Sword Art Online caused all of this. We have seen no less than three isekais per anime season for the past four years. Normally, we have about four to five. And, like, the important thing to note about that is that Isekai as, like, a concept has existed before SAO. But exactly. SAO was the, it was the unfortunate catalyst that kickstarted yes. off the trend. So that, that is my next question. So why SAO? Why was this one 
the catalyst that kicked off the isekai trend. Just to it's, give it's a little bit more fan- background. It's power fantasy. It, it, yes, it's, but there are a lot of other isekais before SAO that were also power fantasy. Well, like, uh, so why to, to SAO specifically? Because well, like, uh, SAO but, has like, yes, it's the power fantasy of like, oh, I think it also has the added benefit of being a video game world. So people latch onto that. In addition, but what about .hack? I, I feel like kind of .hack has an actual story that, though, and it's like it's it, not as it, easy it, to get into. It, it takes like every box for like a fifteen-year-old boy exactly. to want to yeah, see yeah, yeah. in an anime, essentially. Yeah, so and I think that is a huge fucking demographic. Dot .hack does like take the video game premise, uh, pretty and the whole like isekai concept pretty seriously. Sao is kind of just a big wet bag of farts in terms of like narrative weight and complexity. I think it's also worth noting that SAO, it aired in July 8th, 2012, so very early on in the decade. This is also basically when streaming services were on the rise. Mm -hmm. Like Crunchyroll was really etching out a place for itself in the anime market. It was seeing extreme growth, and then it dropped this. It it came at the right time. Exactly. I think that is one of the major reasons that it did explode into what it is for better or worse, mostly for the worst. (laughs) <laughs> uh man i i just want more isekai to do something different why are they all the same format i okay, you would so, think so matt if, if you were going to direct your own isekai series what would it be yes and so i want more either reverse isekai so characters from another world come to ours like uh devil is a part-timer that was f- hilarious or, or or recreators is another one which is a really good one or isekais where it's like gate where there's some sort of force that connects two worlds and it's not just the main characters that go back and forth but like denizens of both worlds are interacting with each other that one would be exponentially more difficult to write and achieve but because there's so little space in it i feel like the bar is set pretty low so Mm. anyone could come in and swoop that up same for the reverse isekai those are just low-hanging fruit in my mind that it just baffles me that people haven't snapped up yet. Well, similarly to that, um, I hate how like the Western fantasy environment and setting is like 95% of the time done as an isekai. There are, mm-hmm. There is so much untapped potential for the anime market to go into like heavy like D&D based Western fantasy. Goblin Slayer kind of does that um, and it's pretty good in terms of how Mm -hmm. it treats that kind of content but another one that i'm kind of disappointed hasn't had an anime adaptation yet is dungeon meshi which is uh this series about cooking um and so imagine like you're in like a DD adventure but instead of like or in addition to fighting monsters you also like harvest their body parts and figure out how to make delicious food with it but it's all done in like what could it's like two steps away from an isekai setting but it's just treated as like straight normal fantasy and it's better for it. Right. And I think we are starting to see little deviations from the standard isekai format with recent seasons. For example, this season, there is a ascendance of a bookworm, which you have, first of all, it's a girl being reincarnated and she's reincarnated as a young girl. And not only that, but she's in a frail body. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a power fancy at all, and they have to. Yeah, other it things. is. Yeah. I, I think reaching the end of its height of popularity, like you're going to get diminishing returns for like the same kinds of series. But unfortunately, yeah, Sao's effects will still be felt for a uh, a bit longer. Right, and to give you a few more uh, 
highlights on its cultural impact. So, uh, did any of you see Ready Ready Player One? I never saw it. I never got to. I d- I didn't see it, but like I know again, I know that yeah. it was it was quite divisive. Like some people loved it, but some people just felt like it was pandering completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, case in point, there was an SAO reference Ugh. in Ready Player One. Oh really? And a Western Steven Spielberg film, SAO was referenced. That what, was, showed, what was the reference? What what was the actual thing? That I, was I don't said? I don't know I don't know exactly what it is. Oh. Um, yeah, but there was a reference in there for SAO. Maybe the narrative was just terrible, and that was the reference. <laughs> hey, Potentially, hey. yeah, that's that's just indicative of how far-reaching it is. Furthermore, recently in the 2020 edition of Kono Light Novel Gasugoi, uh, which is a Japanese uh, magazine, if that wasn't clear enough. So they had their poll for the best light novel of the decade. And surprise, surprise, SAO ranked number one for the decade. Yeah. In Japan. <laughs> so it's not going anywhere. No. It's po- You say its popularity started to wane, but people, mm. be- because keep in mind, the SAO light novel came out in 2009. So the light no- or no, light novel came out in 2011. Sorry. Um, the story is that he published the web novel in 2009. It was eventually published into a light novel. So 2011, that's why it's on the list. Uh, it's still going strong all these years later. I, you think that we're going to start seeing diminishing returns? I don't think we're close to that yet. You know, I, I think we got I, I feel a few like years left of this isekai wave. I feel like I can't criticize SAO just because in a bit of a similar vein for like another kind of series that's also kickstarted this whole just wave of degeneracy it's just that i i'm a little more into that because it involves cute girls but um i would argue that like love live and idol master series have like oh that's a good off, pick like, unfor- yeah. i i would i would never rank them as like the best series of the past decade but it is undeniable that they have like impacted the market in such a way where people are willing to gobble up that waifu shit like that that, that specifically that like waifu shit where it's like here's 25 cute girls in this show eat it up you losers yeah that's a good one i completely slipped my mind is love live yeah love live absolutely is not not even just the i i the thing with Love Live is that you can't just look at it as the anime itself. It's the entire Love Live exactly. project. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, I, yeah. I didn't realize was going on so long before the anime. I was talking to my friend who's just like a total Woda, which is like the diehard idol fans. The Love Live project had been going on for two years before mm-hmm. the anime started. And then the anime was what like sparked it all and yeah. like cascaded. But yeah, it's it's the support for it, how it's not just the anime. It's the merchandise, it's the concerts, it's the videos. And so, yeah, that and we talked about it on a few episodes back about just how the idol culture and concerts and specifically has just exploded in revenue the past few years as well in Japan. So that it owes a lot of that to Love Live because Idol Master, again, I don't know enough about either series to go into why I love Live over Idol Master, but Idol Master wasn't quite getting there yet. It was popular. But it, it wasn't the catalyst that Isi- that SAO was to Isekai. Well, Love Live has the high school setting. Idol Master, they're just like professional working idols. And I am disappointed oh, really? with myself I that, that okay. I know this distinction. Um, uh, I am disappointed you too. I've spent a decent enough amount of time getting into idol and waifu shit. So, yeah. <laughs> there you well, go. Well, I'm glad you were able to clarify think, for that. Uh, I think stuff like, stuff like Love Life has such easy appeal. Yeah, yeah I can that, see that's why really it's it. popular in that it's just so fucking 
like it's it, it just appeals so blatantly to like if you like music or just kind of cute girls or just relaxed storylines mm-hmm. it's all there and like that's going to appeal to so many people like, irrespective thing, of like yeah. who they are age well, range or, or also, gender or whatever like love live and idol master those series also came at what i would call like the beginning of the height of popularity for cute girls doing cute things because uh love live came out or the anime came out what 20 10 2011 or so uh no it was i think i'll look it up go on the, the show um yeah well around that time but that was also the time that chaos like really kicked off um and those were just like series that were just cute just about cute girls and like here go go watch um so yeah again like i i wouldn't ever rate them as like the best but it is absolutely undeniable that they the 2013 they've had really 2013 really it's that late yep Yep. Oh my god. Well, that's still early on in the decade. Well, yeah, yeah that's still pretty early on. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's just so uh as far as like trends go, it feels like there's like I, I was actually thinking about this. Like I, I forget when I was looking at like series that came out from like the early two thousands, but there are a lot more waifu shows than there used to be. Oh yeah, absolutely. And coming back to Harry's point a little bit about how it's easy to appeal to the the thing about love live though and the interesting thing is yeah like the show itself it, it's easy to appeal to it's doesn't require much from you but the way it engages its fans afterwards though that isn't easy the amount of the level that its hardcore fans engage with it is absolutely mind-boggling when you think about all the events the concerts the music videos the memorizing the characters birthdays like Ugh. that's that's not something you do passively. That's something you do because like you are a diehard, almost obsessive fan to the series, mm-hmm. and so th- yeah, that's, that's you don't you don't you don't get that with just a cute girl doing cute thing well, show. You, you yeah, there's something more to a that. A little yeah. bit before then with the whole like mixed media approach, but I mean, man, you, you, Matt, you're you're a fan of Miku, aren't you? Yes, I'm going to Miku Expo in May. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like kind of a similar thing where it's like. Hatsune Miku had like, and, and all of like the other related Vocaloids had like this entire just multimedia like persona built up around it. Exactly. And I think that's, that's the important part to differentiate Love Live from Idol Master as well. It's just like, they really went all in on the multimedia aspect on it. It's called the Love Live Project, project <laughs> for a reason, because it is a project. This is a whole endeavor. And so honestly, <laughs> Bandai Namco is the one that spearheaded all this. They kind of deserve the returns they're getting on all this because it was a risk uh, mm. when they were starting it. I, I remember hearing, my friend was really? telling me how before the anime came out, they were very close to just shutting it down and then the anime was what single-handedly resuscitated it all. And so, oh my God. like, maybe maybe not anymore because it's just its own monster and beast now, but yeah, it, it it wasn't an easy thing for them to raise it up to be what it is now. Oh my god, I forgot Love Live was anim- animated by Sunrise. Yeah, yeah, it's the fucking Gundam I, that's studio. That's right. Oh, that took I it on. completely forgot about that. Oh man, yeah, and yeah. It was, it, so it, that's it's crazy too, because like uh, as like a bit of a um, related tangent, um, and and seeing like just how much impact Love Live has had. Um, Love Live was a very large part of why Dan Salvato made Doki Doki Literature Club, <laughs> because oh, really? it, it it like. It was a large part of what fostered his love-hate relationship with anime and anime tropes. <laughs> cool. I could see that. 
Yeah. Cause it's it like like we've said, like it's very pandering and it's very low hanging fruit. But there's just something that like if you even like have an inkling of an enjoyment, you're just going to like latch onto it. Yeah, it gets it gets its hooks on you for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Speaking of also cute girls, we're gonna go back to the very beginning of the decade at twenty eleven oh. for a little known show called Maho Shoujo Madoka Magica. Oh yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Which yeah. took the world by storm holy crap this so it's interesting when you bring up madoka because i feel like there's one very significant aspect about it which is the 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 realistic approach it takes right with the whole uh magical genre but i feel like it Mm -hmm. also came out and, and shares that similar quality with another series that came out around the same time or at least the anime uh attack on titan where both are fairly like both are fairly brutal, um, but they both have very wide mainstream appeal. And I would argue that like the frankness with which they deal with like the severity of their material helped to popularize that whole I, kind of serious approach. Yeah, I, I was going to say as well, regarding Attack on Titan, I think the fact that Game of Thrones is so huge shows that there's a very clear market for like medieval fantasy and that kind of thing. And like Attack on Titans, like it's such a great concept. It's such a cool idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, I think all these shows, what we're noticing is that there's a few exceptions, but generally across all these shows, they're not too weird. They're relatively grounded and quite like appealing from a quite mainstream standpoint. Well, it's interesting because um, Monica, Monica gets pretty weird. <laughs> that, that, that's what I was going to say. That's, that's, that's exactly the exception I was thinking of when I made that point. Uh, Madoka is pretty weird, so it's interesting that that obviously transcended that weirdness and still appealed to a lot of people. Um, but I think these other shows are all pretty accessible to Western audiences, even people who've never seen anime before. They can still get why a lot of these other shows are entertaining. Right, and we'll we'll come back to Attack on Titan because that's absolutely one of the ones on the list too. But coming back <laughs> to uh, Madoka, yes, it, it's it's interesting because it is a very it's a very anime show at its core still. Like, it is very unabashedly anime. Mm-hmm. And what you say, it takes a more realistic approach, but it's also very avant-garde in its storytelling and its presentation. Oh, yeah. Remember how it's done by Shaft and, like, it, that's... That and Bakimono Guitar is what really shot Shaft into the spotlight for a lot of people with this very distinct, uh, very imagery-heavy mm-hmm. animation style. Mm-hmm. And to see a magical girl show take off like that using that style is very interesting and, and not only that it sparked all these other very dark and gruesome magical girl shows afterwards to the point where traditional magical girl as a genre is basically dead outside of precure <laughs> uh so we have we, this spawned off yuki yuna is a hero which is also good in its own right we have a uh, magical girl rising project very dark people are dying in it and then you had well, there was a third one on Amazon recently. I'm forgetting the name of it, but it was, it, it was again another magical girl one. They were crying tears of blood. They had a gun. They shot themselves with. Oh Persona my 3. god! I don't remember exactly, but yeah, it's it's its own subgenre now. Is dark magical girl, and that's all because of Madoka. To give you some more insight on how pervasive and the effect this had on the world at whole, not just Japan, is. Um, the Spanish film director Carlos Vermo cited that Madoka Magica had a large influence on his 2014 film Magical Girl, 
The series was referenced in the HBO series Euphoria. And finally, and this is a Japanese thing, but the director of Pramar said that the uh, Madoka Magica is an industry trend. Mm. Like he said, like that is absolute industry trend from there. The director of Pramar, the movie that's made gangbusters in theaters. And so the, the next question I want to ask about Madoka is, you, you already went into why Madoka, why not really? Because dark magical girl shows did exist before Madoka. There's Utakata. It's bad. Don't watch it. There's also <laughs> Shaman Princess, where it's also really dark. The transformation sequences look downright painful. Um, but yeah, Madoka came out the right time. It had that right amount of shock factor. It had the very distinct animation style. It had the skirt by uh, Urobochi, who did Sayano Uta. Which is another thing. There's oh my god! Yeah, we can go. Wait, wait, wait! Hold up, hold up, hold up! I did not. You weren't aware that, of that. I did not realize that Madoka was written by the dude that wrote Sayano Uta. Yes. Holy so shit. it was written by Gen Urobuchi, and this is another part of its. Uh, this is another part of its key success, I think, at the time. Holy so shit! While it was in production, That's actually kind of they. Yeah. So it was known that Gen Urobuchi was the scriptwriter, but leading up to it, they were presenting it as like, yeah, I want to write a story that's more lighthearted and fun. And that's how they presented it in Twitter. They made the logo, which you can see the logo is that big poofy pink letters. It's like, and then you have the opening video, which is shared ahead of time. It's like, yeah, we're going to have a fun magical girl show. Meanwhile, like that was all deception, obviously. Psych. Yeah. And so the first two episodes came out and people were like, I mean, like, it's not, fun and games but it's still a magical girl show and, and then cute. and then the third episode happens yeah and then and Trump. so there was that whole yeah there was the whole level of subterfuge mm. going on around this piece of media as well that really contributed to the zeitgeist that it was at the time that really propelled it to stay relevant all these years later mm. and so the next question i want to ask is what why hasn't that been replicated yet why haven't we seen another magical girl show that quite reaches that. Yes, it's been done, but just like Isekai, there are variations of it. So what what did Madoka have that these modern dark magical girl shows don't? I haven't what seen do you these, need to do? I, I haven't seen these other dark magical girl shows, so I don't really yeah, have that frame of neither, reference as to why they've failed necessarily. Mm -hmm. But I guess if I were to like posit a guess as to why it doesn't have the same kind of popularity that Isekai does is like um, a, a darker series is by nature a little bit alienating. Um, so unless you took like the kind of approach that you know, we, we talked about earlier, but, but Game of Thrones, where it's a very wide world, a wide and expansive world where you have personalities that individuals can latch onto, uh, I can see maybe why it hasn't really picked up. Um, hmm. I maybe feel, I maybe feel like, the concept of Madoka Magica is great. Taking something that's typically so happy and colourful, like a magical girl series, and then making it dark and, and juxtaposing that with quite sort of morbid horror elements, that's a great concept and it works really well. But if you do it again, it's not going to be as good as that initial mind-blowing concept, if that makes sense. It's kind of like One Punch Man, which is another series I guess could be argued as very iconic for this decade. One Punch Man is such a great sort of subversion of its genre it's such a great like iteration of its genre because it, it does something so weird it, it takes this ridiculously overpowered protagonist and plays with all this comedy and it works really well but if if you just try to do that again just try and replicate one punch man it you get really mob work. psycho 100 yeah but mob psycho 100 <laughs> does i mean by the same author but also it does yeah. its own yeah, yeah, thing I, I, I guess, yeah, yeah. 
it, it, it like mobs so different to Saitama, but the point is if you took another like male middle-aged hero or whatever it, it would just yeah yeah, yeah it, and it, i would it agree flat, from, I like madaga's whole thing is that it's very reliant on genre knowledge or at least being aware of magical girls in concept um and it's all the more effective because of it but i don't know how these other dark magical girl shows like approached the content but Right. I, I don't know if like the same kind of investment is there in the sense that it plays with your expectations of what to like what will come out of this kind of story. So as someone who has watched some of these other Magical Girl shows, here's what I think. Uh, when it comes to Madoka, you would both agree that despite its content, ma- con- content matter and the way it's presented, it is still a Magical Girl show, yes. correct? Yeah, you would still right. call it that. Absolutely. These, uh, these other shows that have followed... They have girls that transform into other outfits and fight, but I would not consider them magical girl shows. And I think that distinction is very important. This is because it's not delivering on the concept. It's a great concept, but it's not actually delivering on it then. So yeah, so Madoka came from a deep love of the genre, the way it deconstructed Mm. and, and analyzed it. These other series that have come since are just saying like, look at that. Let's just kind of do that at the basis level. Let's just have cute girls and cute outfits battling to the mm. death. And in reality, that's no different from a shonen show at that point. Mm. And so yeah. I think that is a major reason why these other shows haven't taken off to the same level of just mass appeal. Or like it hasn't stimulated people as Madoka did. Because at that point, you're taking the bare skin of a magical girl show and slapping onto a shonen. Yuki Yuna came the closest to a Madoka um, successor. The reason that didn't take off, and it, it took off to some extent, but not nearly the same extent as Madoka, of course. But I think the reason for that is that it it didn't balance its stakes as well as Madoka did. It mm. kind of, it still felt a little bit hand-wavy. And Madoka had a lot of hand-wavy nonsense in it as well, but it was emotionally satisfying in Madoka, whereas Yuki Yuna leaned a little bit too hard into the logic of it and got lost in it as mm. a result. But yeah, that that is important. It still needs to be a magical girl show. It can't just be some yeah. other genre with magical girl pasted over it. And I think if you guys were to try to watch any of these other shows that have come since, you would see what I mean. Mm. Yeah. Don't get me. I, I really liked magical, magical Girl Raising Project. It was a great show. I was invested in it the whole time, but I wouldn't call it a magical girl show. Mm. Yeah. Like Madoka Magica still nailed that initial concept better than anyone because it fully committed to its genre. Well, it fully committed to being a magical girl show. That there are like similarly, like we can kind of see that with the shonen genre, um, with the whole fact that like Hero Academia as a whole is like at its core a shonen series, but it does play with your expectations of like how characters progress and grow in it. Um, and it does also change like the, the kind of idea of what the characters are and can be. Uh, so if you look at like, say, say, look at the shonen from the generation before you have the big three, you have Bleach, Naruto, and One Piece. Um, I actually started reading One Piece again and it's great, but it's so so good. It's so fantastic. And like (laughs) the, the linchpin of it is that Luffy is such a good protagonist. But you look mm. at one or uh, not uh, Naruto and Bleach, and Naruto and Ichigo are kind of wet blankets. They're not that the, the characters aren't that great. Um, but you have like a lot of modern shonen now that 
for you, you can argue whether or not you, you like Aaron, but he's at least a very interesting character. He's very goal-driven. Um, and, and it's a very specific goal. Uh, same you with see, by Deckard. contrast, I've, I've always found Aaron so fucking boring. Like, I've always found him so uninteresting as a protagonist. Mm-hmm. But that's so, just me. Yeah. Like, also, I will mention, I probably didn't get far enough in to attack on Titan. I got, uh, I got through the first two series. Um, I didn't. I only watched the first few episodes of series three. But at the same I mean, time, that's I still feel pretty like, far. <laughs> yeah, like, and at no point did I actually feel particularly invested in Erin. Yeah. I let's like jump I, into that then. Yeah, let's yeah. go into Attack on Titan now because that's something to yeah. discuss. Go on. Yeah, I I think it's obviously like again mentioning Game of Thrones earlier. It's clearly a huge demographic for like for medieval fantasy. Uh, I think Attack on Titan is very much a sort of show that again appeals to a lot of people who are into that kind of more violent medieval fantasy side of things. It's not particularly Japanesey in its kind of delivery, so Western audiences clearly can get on board with it. I personally felt very disappointed after the first season. I actually quite enjoyed the first season when I saw it years ago. I don't know how it would hold up now if I saw it again. But um, yeah, I, I feel like Erin is such a weak character, especially compared to some, compared to some viewers in the cast. I feel like there's a few of the characters in the cast that are far more interesting than Erin, and they don't get much limelight. But then again, I also don't feel like Erin gets much limelight. This is what's weird. Like, I feel like the screen time between the characters is really oddly divided in Attack on Titan, and always has been, especially in the second season. I think the second season was so scattershot all over the place, narratively. Uh, but I don't know if they fixed that in the third uh, season. So season three comment. picks it up. Um, Does it? It well, picks up the piece. Yeah, yeah, right yeah. which is why, yeah. like, uh, yeah, the, and, and I shared the same sentiments with you, Harry, as I was watching, uh, rewatching season one and like going into season two. Yeah, it does feel a little bit janky <laughs> in terms of how it presents the narrative. But a lot of that does have to come with the growing pains of establishing a very, very unique and specific world. And yeah. a large part of that is, and, and, and a large part of uh, Attack on Titan's appeal, similarly to Monica, is that they both take the time to establish stakes so that the threats feel very real and the risks yeah. feel incredibly real to the point where you kind of don't know what's going to happen next and you're afraid for the character's safety. And I would argue that as you go deeper into the series, Aaron is a really good barometer for that because he is, he has, a, he's very goal driven um, and he is consistently like 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 you do as a shonen protagonist he is constantly one of the people that puts himself like first into the line of danger but because of the way that the story takes its time to develop the world and its threats and its antagonists like you you're not sure you're honestly not sure if he's going to make it out of an encounter alive yeah for, for me i I, I get that and I understand it. For me, though, I just, I always lead with characters and mm-hmm. I always think like, if you think of any good story, um, you'll think of characters first. Say like Breaking Bad. If I say Breaking Bad to you, the first thing you think of is Walt and Jesse. Mm-hmm. And you think of them before you even think of what Breaking yeah, but, Bad's but, but, about. But in Breaking Bad's case, like it, it's a character-driven show. I would argue yeah. that Attack on Titan isn't a character-driven show. isn't a character-driven show. It's a world But why was it popular? But why was it popular? Why was it popular? Why was it influential? Oh, okay. Honestly, (laughs) I I would say precisely because of that, because it, like, it it takes, like, it's time to, like, create this, like, alien world. 
it's like it's this uncanny valley of like yeah it's medieval europe kind of but then we have like titans we have i i I honestly can't like talk more about attack on titans world without getting into spoilers but suffice to say (laughs) that it like it gives you such an interesting world to look at and i think people really latched onto that especially like and it takes so much time to establish the mechanics and rules of how everything in the world works like the fact that the, like i re- i distinctly remember when the through when, when attack on titan came out the 3d maneuver gear was like one of the coolest shit ever uh, i was about to say oh, yeah. you guys were that failing to mention about the animation just to like immediately appealing that to too yeah yeah the, an- yeah the animation and the concepts of attack on titan are fucking awesome yeah. I can't knock that one bit. Like the actual concepts and the, the, the way it's all presented and, stru- and like put together from a technical standpoint, it's amazing. And similarly right. to Hero so, Academia, like both have very big hype moments. Um, and like, mm-hmm. the, like the, the opening to Attack on Titan season one is like still incredible. Yeah. Just goes to everything. Yeah. So yeah, if, if I were... Can you think of any, if I were to tell you the, the year that Attack on Titan came out, maybe this will give you a hint, another reason why. So it came out in 2013. Hmm. Uh, I'm not sure. So <laughs> this also coincides where a little known business called Netflix oh. was starting to really get into the anime industry. So around okay. that time is when they were starting to ramp up their anime streaming platform. And lo and behold, Attack on Titan was a showpiece for that. Ah, and so okay. that oh, reached a whole other demographic from that. Furthermore, in 2014, that's when Netflix started to produce its own anime original series. And so Attack on Titan was kind of like this poster child for anime on Netflix. And of course, not much more needs to be said on that front. Actually, What's kind Netflix? of similarly... I've, I've, not, I've not heard of it. What is it? Oh my God. <laughs> But kind of similarly, um, like Netflix, Netflix was probably a very large part of why certain series um, latched on. And I would argue that maybe in a bit of an atypical way, but like the the, the show itself doesn't really like change much, but it's more about the production behind it. But Little Witch Academia, I'd say is very influential just because Mm -hmm. like, you know, even Kill a Kill. Um, just because those two series were created by like a completely new anime studio. Like, of, I mean, of course, like they did have the reputation of being the people that had worked on Gurren Lagann and Panny and Stocking. So they had all of the um, Gainax cred behind them. But there was a lot with Trigger's like recent rise that it felt, it always felt, honestly, up until Primaria released, it felt like Trigger's like, life <laughs> as a studio felt a little rocky um right yeah but little witch academia i think uh helped to cement its status as like it's a diverse studio and they can make content that appeals to a lot of different people as well um and, yeah. but it, but because of that it also shows that a completely new studio can thrive in a very competitive and cutthroat industry. Right. Yeah. And I, yeah, the reason I was going to cite Kill a Kill specifically, because that came out, Little Witch, the move, the OVA came out before Kill a Kill, but the series came out after Kill a Kill. So Kill a Kill was basically what cemented Trigger as a powerhouse studio. 
and as almost like a household name in the anime community, everyone knows Trigger now. Yeah. And everyone knows what Trigger's capable of, what their style is. Mm-hmm. And it's Trigger is synonymous with just kind of like very grandiose, bombastic, over-the-top animation. And that's, and that's why Kill- I fucking love them so much. Yeah, and so it's Kill a so Kill fun. was the impetus for that. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. Also, just the the con- the conversation around Kill a Kill, how there were people arguing against, oh, it's sexuality is empowerment. It's like, no, it's sexuality for sexuality's sake, and so on and so forth. Like it, it generated so much conversation and debate mm. that that is what that's what a studio wants essentially. No press is bad press. Yeah, and so that is, and we still feel Kill a Kill's presence to this day. Even so, even though Kill a Kill isn't that old, I think that came out in I think it was 2013. 2015? 2014 I, or 2015? I think it's quite incredible where they did just like one series, Kill a Kill, and then that's it. They finish the story there and they don't rehash it for a second series. Mm-hmm. They don't do a sort of movie. And the fact that it was could, an anime original. Is, it's yeah, an, it's it. an anime original, just one series, no movie, no like tax on second series at the end. It's just a fucking like one season anime original and i think that's really cool i really respect that i think something i was going to ask as well this is more about future predictions but what shows do you think will go down as influential this this decade as in do you think something like demon slayer could go down as influential that's that's what we're talking about right now (laughs) yeah yeah. well at least like (laughs) we're talking about this decade going forward (laughs) um, because like we can very clearly point to something like kill a kill right and be like oh yes of course that was influential but demon slayer we've we've seen enough reactions we've seen enough reactions to it so i think what what we're talking about is like demon slayer is very recent so like we don't we don't know i would Um, honestly say really demon slayer probably won't just because it's going to heavily depend on future seasons yeah yeah but just Actually, knowing what's coming for future seasons, it might. Um, mm. Yeah, I'm just going to leave it at that. Because, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the, where, where the Demon Slayer manga is right now, it's very, it's a lot of emotions. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right, yeah. I, I think it definitely has a fighting chance. But it's if it was just this season alone, I would say absolutely not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, there's there's more coming. Hmm. Other things that well, like what, what, what came out that was like big. So I, this was relatively, this was relatively recent. This was one I was going to bring up to begin with is Land of the Lustrous. Oh, which Harry yes. Talk, yeah, Harry has seen. I don't think I don't know if you. I, seen I haven't it, seen it yet. It's been on my watch list, but I, you know. okay. I, I, I seem to remember I gave this. We, we were voting on our best of the year. Not, not like the top things of the decade. Mm-hmm. Like, and we were giving certain things points and whatnot. This is how. To the listeners at home, this is how we're deciding on what's going to get like put on our big site list. Uh, and I think I gave Land of Illustrious quite a good score because even though I didn't think particularly highly of the narrative, I do think the animation was phenomenal. Right. And, and I it, think it's deserving it's speci- of a mention because of yeah. that specifically. It's it's important to mention it's not traditional animation. It's CG animation. It's a fully mm. CG anime done well. It's the first anime series, CG anime series where I can actually say the CG looks good. There were, there were a few series before that. So like Arpeggio Blue Steel was a CG anime and it was passable. It was fine. It didn't bother me. And then there are many, many, many more bad CG anime like Berserk. And so <laughs> Land of the Lustrous is the first one to really nail that CG look and show what its powers are. And so again, I posit, posit this question to you, Harry. Why Land of the Lustrous? What made its CG better than everything that's come before? it? I, I mean, I don't know. Like I, I guess the studio had more budget and for whatever reason more incentive to actually 
do a good job. I think typically when like if if you've got a studio who's typically using CG to save on budget and save money or whatever, I feel like they probably went into land of lustrous thinking. Let's do this as an experiment to do the best looking CG animation we possibly can. And if you go into that mentality, I imagine the results going to be extremely different. But obviously, I don't know. I wasn't there. I didn't speak to the studio, so right, I can only guess. <laughs> what 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 was it about the CG that you thought was the best CG though? What made the CG look so good to you? The hair looked. The hair looked pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, uh, like, like, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I what I can say about it is, I've not that, seen it for a few years, so my memory's yeah. a little bit fuzzy. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> so what I can say about it is that up until Land of the Lustrous, it is like you said, studios were using CG as kind of like a tool to save time. It would made things a lot faster. There's the whole story behind uh, Miraculous Ladybug, which started off as a 2D animation. Uh, show, but then it was made into CG because they didn't want to hand draw a ladybug outfit over and over and over again. So they made yeah. CG instead. But in land, so by doing that, they were trying, anime studios were using CG and trying to mimic uh, 2D animation with CG, which looks horrible. <laughs> so yeah. the thing, the thing about 2D animation is that it's obviously it's framey. Like if you have, if you are having a conversation between two characters, chances are, the only part of their body that's moving in that conversation is their mouth. And in 2D animation, that looks okay. It looks fine. But you translate that to CG and you just see their mouth moving. Meanwhile, every other part of their body, the XYZ coordinates are locked in. Suddenly your brain is like, holy shit, this looks so wrong. Yeah. This looks mm. really bad. And so the point is, see, one of the strengths of CG is that you can minutely modify bits and pieces of a body part without having to redo a frame over and over and over again, you just drag and drop a joint, which given that's also a skill that's difficult, but it's different from, that's a strength CG has. And so Land of the Lustrous, when you're watching it, you're seeing characters have conversations, you realize that there's constant movement going on with their bodies. They're not just stock still. There's some, like you can see them breathing a bit. You can see like their uh, heads moving side to side a little bit, things like that. And just little touches like that go a long way to making the CG look much better. The yeah. other thing that Land of Lustrous does really well, another strength of CG is uh, long cuts or tracking shots. Because basically for CG, you can model an entire room and then you can stick a camera in that room and just move the camera mm. around. Whereas in traditional 2D animation, you have to redraw that room every single time with those frames. Mm. And so I re explicitly remember a scene in Land of Lustrous towards the end, there's like a giant Yeti monster and it's chasing Daya. And you, the camera is very up close and personal to Daya, just kind of like sneaking around this room. And it's just like five minutes of a single cut, just following Daya around, trying to sneak around, not being spotted by this monster. And it feels so in intimate because you're right there with her. There's no edits to it whatsoever. Yeah, That is a strength of CG that 2D animation can do, but is exceptionally difficult to do. You also see that in Kimetsu no Yaiba with... Um, the arc where it's the demon inside the house that makes a topsy turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did the same technique there. They modeled that room in CG so that when it's turning and twisting, they didn't have to redo that background. All they had to do was animate Tanjiro itself. And so that, yeah. that's an example of mar uh, marrying CG and 2D animation. Of and it's ways. an instance where clearly they've done it right. They've not just quickly done a quick 3D animation thing and just like phoned it in. They've clearly taken the time. And it looks fucking yeah. awesome as a result. They analyzed what they could do with CG that they could not do in 2D animation. I think that yeah. is extremely important to understand if you are going to make a 3D CG 
uh, anime going forward, which I haven't seen one that's approached nearly the quality of Land of the Lustrous Sense, which is a little bit surprising considering how well it did. Well, now yeah. I need to watch I hope something does come along. <laughs> oh, yeah. Got you interested, Kyle? <laughs> it's, it's a sort of show where, like, I feel the narrative could have been fantastic, but it needed more time. It right. needed the, more episodes. Yeah. Mm. That's the like, thing. The narrative was not that great. <laughs> it wasn't that great. And I, I'm still kind of thinking, you never know. It could have gotten better if it was given more episodes. But, like, because it was only, like, 12 episodes, I think. Yeah, it was a single um, it, it felt more like an experiment or a proof of concept in, from, like, an animation standpoint rather than, like, a wonderful story. But if season two is announced, I'd, I'd watch it day one. I'd, I'd check yeah. it out and I'd, I'd cross my fingers hoping the narrative picks up because there yeah, was remember, some potential there. I remember in your write-up of it, you called it a technical marvel and I 100% agree with that. It's it's worth watching purely from a technicality standpoint. I can't, because, I can't even remember yeah. writing about it. When was that? <laughs> <laughs> Probably like two two years ago or so. Uh, I, I forget a lot of things. I, I, mm-hmm. I can't remember most of my articles. <laughs> But I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, that that's an example. I think that I think Land of the Lustrous is a, one of the more recent shows in the past few years that will be looked back upon as one that was influential, that made ways that other series point back to yeah. to say this is how it should be done. Something else I want to mention, uh, and this is one I think quite strongly on, uh, okay, is yeah, I ahead. think My Hero Academia. I I, I think it's a given that that's gonna be quite iconic going forward i mean it is iconic yeah. now i really honestly hope because i feel like that genre that shonen genre as great as it can be all of the big shonen shows have patchy track records if that makes sense mm-hmm. uh you could take anything let's say one piece for example i always mention it or dragon ball z or whatever like like i'll take dragon ball z because i think a lot of people in the west know that and love it you're not going to say with dragon ball z every episode is like a winner there's going to be some slower episodes there's going to be some filler episodes there's going to be like poor moments, but there's also going to be amazing moments, obviously. But it's a mixed bag. But you still love it and respect it because the story overall and the characters overall are fantastic. Same with One Piece, same with pretty much any modern shonen or any shonen ever. But I genuinely feel like My Hero Academia is the first time where I've looked at a shonen and thought pretty much every episode is good. Like every story arc is good, every episode is good, and there's only a few filler episodes. And even the filler episodes are good. And I'm genuinely thinking, what if this just continues? What if there's like, I don't know, 300, 400, 500 Harry, episodes? I, I'm, I'm going to... they're just I'm, I'm all like, fucking good. I, I don't want to like set your expectations up. But <laughs> yeah. the past arc has been kind of iffy. Oh, really? In the manga? Yeah. You were talking about? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, in, what, in what sense? Deku's the best he's ever going to be in the current anime arc in right. terms of character we'll that in that. terms of character progression right so you think he's like stagnant he's stagnant mm-hmm. unfortunately but so th- what i can say to that though if we're looking specifically at the anime uh as of right now i think what you can point to for my hero is just pacing how to pace yeah. a shonen mm-hmm. show it's mm-hmm. done that very well uh, in terms of going forward, yes, Shonen, it's very difficult to have one of these long-running Shonens that just always is just going to be firing all cylinders is great. There's going, It's going to eventually take a turn. However, uh, something that we've seen with some recent shows is that we don't always have to adhere 110% to the manga. Anime studios will sometimes change 
divert from the source material to create an anime that's slightly better or a bit improved. And it's different from previously in like the early 2090s when they were changing material simply because they either caught up or there's like a social issue they didn't want to touch on, things like Mm -hmm. that. The Example I cite here, and this is this it, is not an influential. Let's sh- go on here. I was just going to say, it's cool that My Hero Academia, the anime, is really far behind the manga. Like the manga's quite a bit ahead with quite a few story arcs. Well, Bones also takes I mean, like it takes its time. From if if they were to like animate all of the manga now, like and get caught up, would that take them to maybe like the end of season five, or do you think it would take them like halfway through season six? Like, do you think there's like what two seasons? Uh, so what they've not animated there. Yeah. There's like at least a couple seasons worth that they haven't touched on yet. And that's, what's really cool. I like that they're far behind because it gives them so much time to, to really think how are we going to tackle these later story arcs and are we going to alter them if necessary? Mm -hmm. What's the fan response like? Um, yeah. And I I know I also think again, going back to my other point, even if like this latest arc isn't the best in my academia, even if it is a slightly inferior arc, I still feel that it's going to be miles better than every other shonen uh, on the market. What even are other shonen coming out quali- right now? Sorry. What even are other shonens coming out right now? Like the only one I really knew is like Demon Slayer. Right. To be fair, Demon Slayer is really fucking good. Yeah. Actually, on Demon uh, Slayer's point, that is one where I'd say like the anime makes changes from how the manga presents the story, and it's better for it. Yeah. Yeah, and I was going to mention uh, Shield Hero makes modifications too towards the end, what, and I think it's much better for it as well. Was Shield um, Hero good at me? Because I watched like a handful of episodes, and I was I thought it was so like, Kyle it was and okay, I have di- Kyle and I have diverging opinions mm, on it. Yeah, <laughs> I want. We'll get into I that. It's not a, it's not an influential show, so it's I won't not discuss yeah, it. We'll, we'll, we'll yeah. do that, but but yeah. yeah, Hero Academia is um, God, it's. Having grown up through like the original wave of Bleach, Naruto, and One Piece reaching their popularity, it's like Hero Academia is exactly the same kind of pop culture touchstone that those had. It just has the added benefit of coming out in the streaming and internet age or like the streaming and social media age. So it's very easy to like for people to have these discussions and have these like fan conversations. Um, in mm. a very like active real time space, so I I don't know if necessarily Hero Academia is influential because of that, but it's more about the context in which the show came in that is influential and kind of dictates how people probably will talk about series from here on out. But mm-hmm. yeah, it'll yeah. be a benchmark, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm interested to see like what happens, but. I think, let's say hypothetically, it wraps up and there's 500 episodes eventually and 485 of them are good. I mean, that's a pretty <laughs> fucking good track record when you think about it. Maybe That's just a random guess. Like, maybe I'm being way too optimistic mm. about that. But you see my point, right? Yeah. If you were to compare it yeah, to, like, yeah, another... Like, mm. one of the big free shonens, for example. Like, like One Piece, for example. Like, I obviously love One Piece. There are so many slow episodes. There are so many episodes that are just kind of like they're fine when you just binge through them and just absorb them as part of a binge watching session but if you're watching them like isolated on their own week by week they can be really fucking boring and that's why i obviously adore the story of one piece but it won't go down as like a perfect anime 
far from it. It will be considered an anime that is a great story, but it's overly long. It's bloated. It has filler. It has like slow episodes. And I think that's kind of a product of it being weekly. And also a product of it being so close to H Road is State of the Manga. But um, My Hero Academia doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. It isn't weekly, it's seasonal, and it's so far behind the manga. So they've got so much more flexibility to make it fantastic. Yeah. Well, it also helps that it's like super popular. So there's like no yeah. shortage of like funding that they'll have. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hero Academia, like when I was in Japan, just Hero Academia stuff is everywhere. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so something I was wondering, and I wanted to ask you guys, is does an anime have to be made in Japan? Yes. Ah, well. Or at least made made by a Japanese animation <laughs> okay, studio. Okay, I because I was going... <laughs> yeah, this is getting, yeah, this is getting into the definition of anime, which is okay. its own rabbit hole to I mean, go yeah, down. I just, I feel like anime means animation in Japanese. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, well, I, I've, Japanese animation, I, I, that is okay. what it is. So, <laughs> how, how about this then? As far as, like, animation, anime style animation, um, I would say that something like Castlevania is probably fairly influential just because it shows that people can make series honestly series honestly like series as like good quality as the Japanese anime industry can put out if not yeah. better than like the average show that it comes out and it shows that like people who have grown up with anime and understand it as a medium and a style can replicate it if they like if they know what they're doing yeah, totally. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would definitely consider Castlevania as influential in the and I don't know how Japan received it, but it's clear in the western market it was received exceptionally well mm-hmm. and people thought it was produced in Japan. A lot of people did, but they didn't realize it's yeah, western animators that just animate in a similar style. Yeah. And that's that's another a that's we- another a, a we- an animation from the West that is inspired by anime. Although, speaking of um, global reach, though, um, would you... I, I, I know we all like the movie, but would you consider your name to be influential? That that was one I was going to oh, say. Yeah. I absolutely do think it's influential yeah, because yeah. your name was the first anime movie to get a normal theater run in the U.S. that wasn't a Ghibli film since I don't know when. <laughs> Like it was in theaters for months, like a normal movie. Oh, oh, you mean like not just like a one-off? Like here, come here. It tonight. wasn't just like a one-off thing. Yeah, it was just like that's, there's show times yeah, every day yeah, for months hmm. to go, that's, that's and that's cra- never that's happened. Crazy, we had that because like even in the UK over here, like we, we still didn't have that. We had a couple of random nights in very rare cinemas where it would be aired for like one night only, uh, and I think we had that for like the Dragon Ball Super movie as well. That's the case for pretty much almost every anime movie. For pretty much any like big anime movie like Dragon Ball Super Broly or Your Name, there'll be a couple of like specific nights where it'll be aired at cinema, but we won't get any regular cinema releases for anime films. Yeah, in the US up until Your Name, it was always just Ghibli films that got that treatment. Your Name was the one that broke that trend. I think that says something about how far-reaching its appeal was. And also the fact that it was nominated for an Emmy or Oscar, Oscar. What, what's the film awards? I'm bad at this. Uh, uh, Oscar, Oscar, I think. I, mean, I don't know. Whatever. I don't, I don't watch yeah. awards. It was, it was, it was not whatever the film award is. I know I'm going to get roasted for that. It was at the very least nominated for best animated what, film. What did it, it was also nominated. What did it lose to? It That's- lost to Mo- Moana. I think. Oh my God. Oh, 
Yeah. Well, that's and just... it was also nominated for best film of the oh. year. It, it clearly, it clearly lost that. But the fact that it was even yeah, nominated yeah, the fact that it's like that. on those like mainstream I, I prefer, yeah. I prefer your name to Moana, but like oh, that's a I controversial opinion. I've got. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I'm just I'm happy that it didn't lose to something like I don't know the Boss Baby or the Secret Life of Pets <laughs> or something like that. I'm I'm glad yeah. that like you could accept it, that loss. It, it, it at least lost to like a Disney film, like right. a big fucking animation powerhouse. It's like okay, I get it. Like, yeah, yeah. Like I can't, I can't really say why your name really hit that that critical mass that it did because when you really get down to it, it's there's not that much special about it. It's just, it executes things so it's pretty, well. It's a pretty it traditional, like, I, yeah. I'd say it, you, you can expect it out of, like, any other kind of similar, like, uh, it's not the most compelling movie. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it, it's not something like, um, like Paprika or Perfect Blue or something like that, like Satoshi Kon movies. Um, it's right. not particularly complex. It's just a very simple love story. Uh, but mm-hmm. it definitely was like influential in the sense that it's had the most insane global appeal that you've seen mm-hmm. out of a movie uh, uh, of an anime movie to come out. Right, exactly. Like it was breaking records all across, all across Japan, all across the world. Now the sequel, not the sequel, um, <laughs> Shinkai's next film, yeah, Mother yeah. of You, which we finally stopped talking about, was also breaking. Oh yeah, records. yeah, that's so, out yeah, of uh, it, that's out yeah. of uh, box offices, right? It's not making records in a Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, you guys got got any other shows that come to mind? I got one more short one if you don't got anything. Uh I don't I don't think I've got anything else. I think I've No, I think I've said everything I wanted to. Mm-hmm. It really puts in perspective like how many big things came out this decade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to cap this off, what I want to mention is Fate Zero. And I, I'm not going to say that was influential on the anime market as a whole. What it really was influential, though, was that it was the Kickstarter and the spark that really started off the Fate franchise and made it into the monster that it is today. Mm-hmm. How it is just so pervasive everywhere. Like any anime fan at least has heard of Fate, knows what it is, or is aware of it in some Wait, shape or Fate form. Wait, was Fate Zero the first series to come out after like the adaptations of the VN? Yes, or... Yes, yes. Um, so there was the Studio Dean adaptation in the, in the 2000s that didn't do well at all. Um, I can't remember if the Unlimited Blade Works movie came out before or after, but if it did before, again, it was didn't make that big of a splash. But Fate Zero mm. was critically acclaimed. It, it was also written by Gaynor Obochi. And really? It's, oh yeah, my it, God. it was written by Gaynor Obochi, yeah. Just revelations yeah, for you. I did right not realize today. that that dude had like written. So you I mean, I can see it, it now yeah. clearly. Yeah. But, huh. Neat. Yeah. And so it was extremely well received. And to show you how big it is now, Fate Grand Order, the phone game, has made a total of $3 billion. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> yep. With, of course, granted, most of that is from Japan, but it's made of that $9 million is from the U.S., how embarrassing. $9 million from a gotcha game in the U.S. <laughs> for a very specific franchise. And Fate Zero is the one that arguably kicked it all off because all the series past that have not reached the same heights, both like critically and just like quality wise as well. But it's just, it's got that momentum. It's not no, going I probably anywhere. agree with Zero being super influential just because like it opened. So 
Fate Stay Night was like a very influential VN, and it was a in the sense that it's like this super detailed world, super interesting mm-hmm. uh, setting, really good writing, um, if really fucking dense. But Zero <laughs> definitely like showed that, and it was it was weird too because I remember when Fate Stay Night came out, it's like the the, the structure that Nasu had created for the Holy Grail War, it was easy to expand on and say like, oh yeah, they're and he like even mentions it directly in the VN. It's like this has happened before, and like these heroes, like this is a, a regular thing. But Zero like showed what that might look like, and it also showed that hey, start picking up all of these historical figures and turning them into like contestants and like warriors and stuff like that. So it definitely uh, kicked open the door for FGO to come in pretty organically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't. I don't have much to say more to say about that. Again, Fate the, Zero is my favorite anime, <laughs> so I could talk ages about it. But the one more thing I want yeah, to mention is uh, One Punch Man, which I don't oh, know, yeah, okay. came up briefly earlier, yeah. but I've not really got much to say about it. But like, I think that was really fucking popular. Again, in part, I think due to Netflix streaming, I think there were like quite a lot oh, yeah, of people who came yeah. across it with Netflix. Yeah, the thing. Well, um, the thing is though, so. One Punch Man, it came to Netflix afterwards. While it was while it was airing, oh, it was okay. actually a Hulu exclusive. Ah, okay. And so Netflix had to buy the license for One Punch Man. Mm. And One Punch Man was actually the shot in the arm that Hulu streaming for anime needed because it was also about to drop its anime section. But it got One Punch Man. The rest ah. is history. So yeah. Yeah. with One Punch Man and along with like Attack on Titan, um, I, I would say, I mean, we, we've talked about this before, but anime has become so mainstream. But it's mm-hmm. always interesting to like, unlike most of the lists you'll see of like recommended stuff intro anime one punch man is like almost always there because it's so Mm -hmm. accessible to somebody who has like never seen anime at all um because it's like it's distinctly anime right like it has so much Mm -hmm. japanese humor the style of shonen action but it's a very universal the writing is very universal um and it's a very easy concept to get into yeah so I I think like yeah I see I see why it's popular I think a lot of people can see it and appreciate how weird it is like because it is very Japanese and it does have its Japanese humor and it's Japanese eccentricity but um I think a lot of people can watch it and grasp of that's what it is they can kind of appreciate that eccentricity whereas like there might be other shows like that that are equally as eccentric but it doesn't have the same appeal or the same kind of uh, accessible narrative to really right. an- anchor someone into that out of, weird Japanese Out of curiosity, what's sense. probably like the weirdest show that's come out in the past decade that's been the most popular? Oh. Uh, that's... No, I'd have to think about that <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Because Kyoso Gigo is very weird, but I don't think it was very popular. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'm maybe sure. Mob because like yeah. I, I was um, actually uh, yeah, watching Mob season would probably two be the closest. recently, and it's like it's a it's a weird fucking Mob's show. Weird. It's a weird show. I, I really, I really that'd like be a it. good pick. Yeah, it's, it's really cleverly done. I like it a lot. But yeah, it is super weird. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, that's a wrap. Yeah, yeah. lots of right. a, a decade one, of anime. <laughs> One last statistic I just found. So, Fate Grand Order, um, um, it's made five times the amount of Horizon Zero Dawn did. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, to, just to put that into perspective. I, I was actually on that watching note. a video recently about the rise of mobile gaming. And yeah, in like South Korea, China, and Japan, just mobile gaming completely eclipses traditional console gaming. Yeah, which is what we live in now. That's this is the reality. The, that's the bed we've made. <laughs> yeah, but yes, anime this decade. Lots of good, lots of bad, some ugly here and there. But you can't discount just how much of an influence some of these shows have had this decade and onwards as well. We got another 10 years of anime coming up. I can't... Uh, man, what is anime going to look in like 10 years? in 2029? You know, you know what I'm wondering about is if it's still going to be creepy for me in 10 years as a 36-year-old man to be watching high school girls doing cute things. I, I mean, don't know. I get I get people in my thir- in their 30s come to my meetup. So. I don't know. I feel like it's already weird for me right now to be enjoying <laughs> my, the shows that I do. It's know. fine. It's okay. We we accept you. What's and all? I mean, I'm not going to say in public Wait, that you're... I like Dragon. Well, I'm, I'm I might evangelize Dragon Maid. I'm not going to say I enjoy Waterton out in public though. <laughs> Anyways, enough about me. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, no. More about no. you. Tell me your Twitter handle. What you do at Google? Oh, Stone. hey, that's a smooth segue. Uh, like the Rogue. <laughs> I sometimes write. It's been a while since I've written though. Um, or at least like a like a like a yeah, main line like an article that I have same that wasn't like a list <laughs> that I contributed to, but unfortunately <laughs> it's just like life has uh, picked up. But yeah, like I sometimes post stuff on like the Rogue at uh, Twitter and manga recommendations for this episode because I'm doing that now. Um, oh God, what's a good manga to read? You know what? I mentioned it earlier. Read Dungeon Meshi. Dungeon Meshi is a very, it's an excellent um, Western fantasy style adventure series where it's about a party of ostensibly D&D uh, adventurers um, that dive into a dungeon and encounter a bunch of different weird fantasy monsters. And much of the series appeal is about uh, not just the combat, but how you cook with certain parts of those monsters. So read it. It's a fun time, and it's a very good series. Ooh. All right. I I, I told you earlier, but I also started reading a Spy X Family, which uh, is a very good yes. recommendation. Yeah. I've caught That's up great. on it. Yeah, and it's fantastic. It. It's so I can I can second uh, Kyle's recommendation for that from the previous episode. Harry, where can we find you? Uh, I'm Harry underscore Morris underscore on Twitter. And I'm not going to talk about anime or manga. I'm going to say, if you live in the UK, uh, this Thursday, go out and vote because we have what will probably be one of the biggest political elections of our life. If you're if you're in the UK, please go out and vote, especially if you're a part of our generation. More young people need to vote. So go out on Thursday and vote. And yeah, that's my positive message. <laughs> All right. There you go, kiddos. Go out and do your duty. <laughs> All right. You can find me at Musing Mojack, M-U-S-I-N-G-M-O-J-A-C-K on Twitter. I am also the anime editor for Goomba Stomp. I mentioned it earlier, but we have our end of year list coming out. We got our best anime 2019, which will be very soon. And then our best anime of the decade, which is a very contentious endeavor to get that. Yeah, it's a. There's been some flames that were lit there. I'm (laughs) very angry how many low scores that Girls Last Tour got. (laughs) <laughs> very angry yep <laughs> so there's a preview don't expect girls last tour to I hate it i hate it yeah i'm not sure i won't say any more than that but yeah really look forward to that list it's uh definitely our biggest endeavor as an anime section so far 
Uh, as always, check out Goomba Stomp as well if you like video games, movie, TV shows, all of that good stuff. And without further ado, we'll leave you all to have your jolly old good times at Christmas, and we will see you next year. Hey, there, er, not Thanks for joining us. There better be some uh, Christmas anime music playing right now. Well, the thing is, we already used the Toradora song last year. Oh, did we? I remember that. So we, I, I did, yeah. So we can't uh, use that one again. So I have to find another guy. song. Find something. Well, it's playing right now, so you probably found it. Yeah. Uh, whatever it is, I'm exactly. sure it's Yes, exactly. I will endeavor to not let you, our fellow listeners, and more importantly, Kyle, down. <laughs> all right. All right. That's all awesome. we have for you. Take it easy. Whoop. Ciao.